name is Jake. I am on the pastoral staff here, and Carol and I are husband and wife, and we are campus leaders at this campus of the TAB as well. Um, and yeah, this morning I get to bring the word that the Lord is speaking to us. And if you recall, so last week we celebrated and, and installed Steve officially as lead pastor at the TAB. It was an awesome week. We had some great guests with us. Some friends came to be with us. It was a combined service. And if you remember the week before that, Michael had preached up here and he kicked off this series on the presence of God, if you can remember back two weeks ago. Sometimes two weeks feels like two years. But he, he started the series off and what he talked about was that the presence of God is a real thing and he kind of laid a foundation for... Um, what we would call the omnipresence of God, right? That God is in everything and he is everywhere at all times, right? Like this whole thing that we call earth, like all the energy and like it's all held together by the omnipresence of God, right? Like if God were to remove his presence from it, it wouldn't exist. Nothing exists apart from God's omnipresence. He's in all things, right? And then Michael also talked about what we call the manifest presence of God. It's like while, was it you that preached or was it Michael? Oh, Steve. Did Michael preach at Franklin? Okay. Yeah, yeah. So Steve preached this, and he was saying that there's this thing where God is already present in everything, but this omnipresence, you can even look and see it, right? Like it says, all creation groans. Like I can look at a beautiful sunset and be like, there's a God. There has to be, right? That's, that's experiencing God through his omnipresence, but it's not something that we like encounter, right? We're like, I'm, I'm, I'm aware of it. Like I feel it in my bones. I can, you know what I mean? That was what we would call the manifest presence that although God is everywhere, he also chooses to dwell somewhere in a moment, in a place, in a time. So like we believe that each time we gather here, or at Franklin, or in a different room. It says, where two or more are gathered, I'm in the midst. That is his manifest presence. That as we gather in his name, he actually physically inhabits that place, right? And we get to encounter him. And sometimes that encounter's real small, or it feels small, and it feels very routine, and we're just like friends with the Lord. And sometimes that encounter can like wreck us. You know what I mean? Like you're on the, you're on the ground and you can't get up because his glory is so heavy or you're filled with joy or his presence leads us to, to grieve and, and mourn things that we're like dealing with, right? Or his presence can lean on us and, and, and call us to repentance, right? It can look all these different ways. It can look loud or quiet or big or small, but we're talking about the Lord filling a place and a moment in time. It's his manifest presence. Does that make sense? right? So we have both of these things that happen, and we exist in the omnipresence, and yet we like constantly want to be in the manifest presence, right? Like we want to be with the Lord at all times, right? His presence is good like that. So we're going to continue that series this morning, and we're going to be in Exodus, and we're going to be reading from Exodus chapter 33. Before we, you can throw it up there, it's fine. Um, so before we get there, though, I just want to bring us to the point in this story that we're in. So this is going to be an encounter between Moses, who was at this point in time the leader of the Israelite people, and God. It's going to be an encounter between those two that teach us something about God's presence. But before we get there, I want to just bring us to the point in the story. So long story short, you can read all this in the book of Exodus. If you never have, you totally should. Um, but... Uh, so the Israelites had been taken captive 
well, they had to go to Egypt because there was a, a famine. They end up actually being basically enslaved by the Egyptians, and they're stuck in all this bondage, right? Moses, I'm going to skip most of the story with him. Basically, he finds out that he is also one of God's people. He's also an Israelite, and he was kind of in the Egyptian empire. He separates from that, and he ends up actually leading the people of Israel out of Egypt. All these plagues happen. He keeps telling Pharaoh, set my people free. There's this whole thing. They end up actually leaving Israel, I mean, leaving Egypt and heading into this place that the Lord said, I have prepared this place for you called the promised land. So the Lord has designated a place for the people of Israel to be able to leave Egypt and go and dwell in, right? And so we find ourselves in the middle of this story between Egypt and that promised land. So there's this mount, mountain, that uh, the Lord calls Moses up onto this mountain. And the Lord actually meets Moses up there. Like this cloud of God's glory is like covering this mountain. And Moses and the Lord are up there for a while. And during this time, as the Lord is encountering Moses... Uh, and, and, and he's giving him what we now, you know what the Ten Commandments are, right? Like, he's giving him those Ten Commandments. Um, during that time, the Israelites are hanging out down in the camp, and they know that Moses is up there on the mountain. They can see it, right? You can picture it, right? They're literally in a desert. So picture yourself in a desert, and there's this mountain, and you know that your leader who's kind of your connection between God and you. He climbed up this mountain, and he's hanging out with the Lord up there. So you know that they're doing that, right? But a lot of time has passed, and you're just kind of sitting in this desert, and they, I don't know, they get bored, or they get weary, or they think that maybe Moses died up on the mountain. Maybe they don't know. But they kind of like lose their cool, and they're like, hey, let's 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 start worshiping another God. And so they basically cast all of their gold their necklaces, their bling, their ice, whatever you want to call it. They throw it in the middle, they melt it, and they form this golden calf. And they stand and they say, this is our God now. This is our God who's leading us out of Egypt into the promised land. So they literally like turn their back on the Lord who had led them out of bondage, right? Because he was not maybe what they thought he was going to be or something. So they worship this golden calf. Moses is up on the mountain with the Lord and the Lord says, hey, dude, like, you got to leave and go down because your people are, they've lost it. And so he sends Moses down the mountain. Moses comes down to find these people worshiping this golden calf, running around, acting completely inappropriate, drunk, taking advantage of one another. Immorality is just running crazy in the camp. And so this is the context in which we find this story. So the Lord deals pretty harshly and severely with the people who actually abandoned him and participated in this. A lot of them were actually put to death, right? So this had just happened. <laughs> the Lord's on the mountain. The people lose their call. They start worshiping this golden calf. Moses comes down, and then the Lord commands that a lot of them be put to death. And a lot of the other ones that weren't, like, are, are called in, like, repentance back to him, right? So we come into this new chapter, and... This is our encounter that we find between Moses and the Lord. So he's supposed to be leading them into the promised land, right? And the Lord's basically like, you guys go. I have this promised land laid out for you, but you can go. Y'all send angels. They'll take care of all the enemies. They'll wipe them out. You'll, you'll reach the promised land. Go and do your thing, but I can't go with you or I might destroy you. <laughs> That's basically what the Lord's saying. But like, 
picture the Lord's heart in this. So this is kind of the image that came to my mind this week that like made it feel pretty heavy for me. So the Lord had prepared this promised land for them, right? So I pictured like me and Carol are married, right? And there is this like marriage between the Lord and his people of Israel. In fact, in the next chapter, he establishes this as a covenant with his people. Um, So me and Carol in our marriage covenant, right? Let's say I leave town for like, this would be a little weird, but let's say I leave town for a a month or I'm not with her for a month. We're long distance for a month because I go out and I like find this beautiful house and you know, San Diego. It's like maybe that's our dream place to live. And I go out and I find this house. I buy it with my hard-earned money and I spend a month just like fixing this house up, trying to make it just right. Like all the things that she likes, I want the house to have that. She loves plants, so I'm bringing plants in and, you know, plant experts so they can help me know where they should be positioned. And like, I'm trying to make this thing like gorgeous and beautiful for my bride, right? This place for us to live together. And then let's say I come back, I fly back after a month, you know, and it's all ready to go. And I'm coming to to get her and bring her there. And I come back and I find her like that. I find out she's moved on and she's dating someone else, some dude named Chet, (laughs) right? (laughs) So it's, it's, I shouldn't have said that because I made it funny. But in all seriousness, can you imagine what I would feel if I had come back after preparing this house to come and bring my bride there and I find out? that she's moved on and she's now like given her heart over to somebody else inappropriately, right? Broke our marriage covenant and she's inappropriately giving her heart. You would never do that. So obviously (laughs) I'm making you sound bad, but I'm just, that's the heaviness here though. Like the Lord loves his people. That's the first thing. If we talk about God's presence, we have to know that God loves his people. His presence is always about him wanting to dwell with his people right? And so this is where we find the Lord right now. He had prepared this promised land, and he's giving Moses up on the mountain all these commands. He's setting it up so his people can live in abundance and in freedom from bondage. And he finds out that his people had just moved on and gave their heart over to something as stupid as a golden calf. And so the Lord is like, that's why the Lord is saying, you guys go, and this would be like maybe my response, like, hey, I've prepared that house for you. Go enjoy it, but like, I can't go with you, you know? Like, that would be the circumstance that I would find myself in in this scenario, right? And so that's the Lord. He's saying, go and dwell in that promised land. You're, I'm, I'm even sending angels with you because I still love you. You're, the angels are going to wipe out the Canaanites and the, all the other ites. They're going to wipe them all out. You're going to reach the promised land. And you'll live in abundance, but I cannot go. I can't go with you. Like, I can't. You've given your heart over to someone else. And so the people hear this and they, they start to like grieve and they're like, Lord, what can we do? And so here we find ourselves in our passage. Um, so starting in chapter 33, this is now an encounter between Moses and the Lord right after that had happened. All right. So actually, could we stand together just in honor of the word of God? I'm going to read this. Moses said to the Lord, you don't have to stand, by the way, if it's like a challenge, it's fine to sit. But, um, okay, Moses said to the Lord, you have been telling me, lead these people, but you have not let me know whom you will send with me. You have said, I know you by name, and you have found favor with me. If you are pleased with me, teach me your ways so I may know you and continue to find favor with you. Remember that this nation is your people. 
The Lord replied, my presence will go with you, and I will give you rest. Then Moses said to him, if your presence does not go with us, do not send us up from here. How will anyone know that you are pleased with me and with your people unless you go with us? What else will distinguish me and your people from all other people on the face of the earth? And the Lord said to Moses, I will do the very thing that you have asked, because I am pleased with you, and I know you by name. Then Moses said, now show me your glory. And the Lord said, I will cause all my goodness to pass in front of you, and I will proclaim my name, the Lord, in your presence. I will have mercy on whom I will have mercy, and I will have compassion on whom I will have compassion. I'll read this. I don't think we're going to get to it, but, but he said, you cannot see my, well, now, you know what? I'm not going to read that. We don't need that part this morning. You can have a seat. Okay. So here's this exchange between Moses and the Lord right after this just abominable betrayal of the people to the heart of God. Um, so just a few things. Can you pull up the beginning? I don't want to spend too long on this. I kind of want to get to like what the Lord is saying for this morning. Um, yeah, so the first thing in, Moses, in, in verse 13, Moses says, if you're pleased with me, right there in verse 13, if you are pleased with me, teach me your ways so that I may know you. So what blows me away in this passage is how like Moses asks the Lord to come and like the Lord pretty readily says yes after he had just said no. Like he had just said, I can't go with you. And there's some things in this passage that really point us to, like, what God's presence is really all about. And the first thing is, is Moses says, like, if you're pleased with me, teach me your ways so that I may know you. Now, the first thing I'm pulling out of here is that, like, what Moses demonstrates to the Lord and why he gets the yes from the Lord is because Moses demonstrates to the Lord what the Lord is ultimately looking for from us. Like he says, teach me your way so I may know you. Like for Moses, it's it, the most important thing is knowing the Lord. Like knowing who he is. That is the goal. And honestly, that's us. Like the deepest desire in the bride is to know the bridegroom and to be known by him. And the Lord says in verse 14, he replies, Okay, my presence will go with you and I will give you rest. And then Moses said to him, if your presence does not go with us, do not send us from this place. So this one's a pretty wild one for me. Uh, they're in a desert and they're living in tents as a homeless people. Like picture that, right? You don't have a home. You just came from bondage. You just, you were only living in Egypt initially because there was a famine and you needed food. So you went there and became like, uh, refugees in the land, and then eventually you became slaves to the land, right? And the Lord sets you free. But now you are a homeless people. You're wandering in the desert. You're probably hungry and thirsty. You're sick of the sun. You are, you have no identity at this point, right? Like you don't have anything to hang your hat on. You've been in the desert for a while. And in this place, like this is what Moses says, if your presence doesn't go with us, don't send us from this place. So they're supposed to go to the promised land, right? The Lord already said before this, he already said, just go. Angels are going with you, just go. But what is Moses like 
what is in Moses to say, Lord, if you aren't going to come with us, then I'd rather stay here in this desert. I'd rather rot in this desert without a home, without possessions, without comfort, than go to, with you, than go to this promised land without you. Think about that. There's something in him that understands that, like, yes, there's this promised land, but, like, being with the Lord is actually, like, the real promised land. Like, it just is. Moses knows that it would be better to stay homeless and intense in a desert in the presence of the Lord than to dwell in the richness of the promised land apart from him. And guys, that teaches us something about the presence of God. It is better than life itself. That's what David, who is also a man who got this, he says that. Your love satisfies more than the richest feast. It's better than life itself. Guys, everything in us is to believe that other things can be better, right? Like comfort is better, or a big house is better, or this success is better, or... Like this family structure that like that I want, I dream of, it's better. Like we're, we're wired to think all these things are better. The pro, that the promised land is the best thing. Whatever the promised land is in our mind, in our hearts, that that is it. And yet there's this reality that guys, no matter where we are, like if we have the presence of God, we have everything we could ever long for. We could, we could spend the rest of our days wandering in a desert right? Or like living in a forgotten town, like looking for the ways that the kingdom of God wants to rebuild the things that have been like torn down. I can spend the rest of my life given over to what the Lord's doing in that place because if his presence is there, then I'm good, right? Don't send me to the promised land if you're not going to be with me. And this is the heart of Moses, so then here, I want, I want us to see what the Lord's response is to this, because this is important. That this whole thing is not about doing the right thing to earn God's favor. Like, it is a love relationship between a bride and a bridegroom, right? So the Lord hears Moses say this. The Lord says, I'll go with you. And then Moses reiterates, don't, don't send us from this place if you're not going to go with us. Now to the Lord, to a lover, that's what you want to hear, right? right? Like, to follow the analogy, right? If, if, if Caroline and I are in that weird situation, right, it, and my heart's broken, like, what I would really want to hear is, like, I, you don't want to go there without me. You know, like, if, if you just went and took the house, then I think I'd really know where your heart was. But, like, if I want, I want to hear, don't, don't make me go there without you. Like, I want, I'll stay here if I can be with you, right? The Lord hears that as a lover, and he's very pleased with it. You see it in verse 17. The Lord said to Moses, I will do the very thing you've asked because I am pleased with you, and I know you by name. See, now the Lord is starting to hear the heart of his bride to him, and he's responding as the heart of a bridegroom, right? I'm pleased with you, and I know you by name. The Lord knew that the deepest longing in Moses' heart was to know him and to be with him. And the Lord is pleased with that. And like I said before, it's the same thing that existed in David's heart. We talk about David sometimes, and he was considered a man after God's heart. It wasn't the things he accomplished. It wasn't the, the enemies he conquered. It was at the end of the day, he was a man whose heart was after the Lord. That is all the Lord is looking for, guys. 
that's always looking for is a bride whose heart is given over to him. And honestly, it's what our souls are looking for too. Like we might not be fully in touch with that at times, but all our souls are looking for is a bridegroom given over to us. You know? And so you're seeing, we're seeing this with Moses and the Lord. Um, you know, Moses says, don't send us from this place unless you come or we'll stay here with you. And the Lord says, I will do the very thing you've asked. I'll come with you because I'm pleased with you and I know you by name. So, Here's, here's like to take this even deeper. I think what I'm seeing here is the first time the Lord says, I'll go with you. What he says is, I'll go with you and like, I'll send angels and everything will be taken care of. And it's like Moses could have just stopped at that and said, okay, cool. And, and, and like, you're going to be with us. That means you're going to get us to the promised land. That means our enemies are going to be vanquished. Yeah. Cool. All right. No, but Moses isn't good with that. Like he wants the Lord to come with them because he wants to be with him. And he wants the Lord to know that they want him. And that's a deeper level because sometimes guys, sometimes we know the presence of God is real, but we kind of want it for what it's going to do. Right? Like we want it because it's going to get us to the promised land or we want it because it's going to drive out our enemies. We can even do this in the name of ministry, right? I want his presence so that I can go give it unto the lost. I want his presence so that I can fulfill this ministry quest. I want his presence so that his favor can rest on me. And that's, it's almost like the Lord was, I, th I think the Lord might've been testing him a little bit. He said, I'll go with you and I'll do all these things. And Moses is like, no, you don't understand. Like if you don't come, we would rather stay here in this desert, right? He got to something deeper. Like we, we, the Lord wants us to want his presence for him for his presence. You know what I mean? That's what a lover would want from a lover. I don't want to like be in a relationship where the other person only wants from me, wants my presence so that it can make their life better. Or I can help them fulfill their dreams. Like, you know how cheap that feels, right? I want, I want them to want me because they want me. And that's like what Moses gets at here. Like, yeah, the promised land's great. Yeah, you're driving out armies. That's great. We want all that. But Lord, like, we want your presence purely because you are the best thing ever and we want you. I want you. You know what I mean? Like if the Lord can form that in my heart, then the battle is won, guys. Like if the Lord can form that kind of desire in my heart to want him more than anything else and not to just want his presence so that I can go and do, right? Get it so I can give it out. The Lord kind of gave me this picture recently. He gave me a phrase and a picture. And the phrase was that mission is not enough to keep our lamps burning. And the picture he gave me with it, with it was like a, the idea of like a, a surrogate mother. Like where you kind of receive and you, you end up like birthing this baby that's not your baby, right? Um, and obviously there's like, there's times and places where this happens, right? But in that, for that mother carrying that baby, all they're doing is like birthing this thing unto something else, right? It's not their baby. It's not their family. They're birthing it unto another family. And guys, sometimes like we can actually do this with the presence of God and think that it's right 
where like, I want, Lord, come and fill me. Come and fill me with this baby. Let me birth something unto something else, right? Fill me with your presence so that I can fill Aliquippa. Obviously, like the Lord wants to fill Aliquippa with his glory, right? But if I'm just like, Lord, fill me so that, fill me unto this, and I could actually miss out on the presence of God myself. I could actually miss out on this love relationship myself, right? The Lord wants to birth something in me for me and him first. And as it comes out, yes, it is also for the world, right? But mission is not enough to keep our lamps burning. The, the, it's, it's not a, the presence of God is not a means to an end. It is everything, Amen. right? And every end we want comes out of that. If my life is on fire, then mission happens. Then I am sharing the gospel. Then I'm standing in the gap for those who have been treated unjustly. I am like open to everything the Lord wants to do. All of that happens if my life is burning. But if I'm just trying to carry a surrogate, then guys, I'm not going to produce much fruit at all. And most tragically, I could actually miss out on the kingdom. The Lord says this is possible. How many are going to say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, didn't we prophesy in your name and drive out demons? And he says, depart from me. I, I never knew you. Carrying surrogates unto something else. That's not what we want, guys, you know? We want the presence of God for the presence of God. And that's what Moses displays here. And that's why the Lord responds with intense love. If your presence doesn't go with us, don't send us from this place. And he says to Moses, I will do the very thing you've asked, Moses, because I'm pleased with you and I know you by name. You're mine. This is the deepest longing in our hearts. His presence gets us in touch with that desire, and his presence fills that desire in us. It'll always only be about the love relationship between the bride and the bridegroom. Then Moses says in verse 18, Now, show me your glory. So he goes even a level deeper here, guys. It goes from, God, you come with us so this stuff can happen. No, God, we want you to come with me, with us, because I want to be with you too. Okay, like, this is like an all-out love affair now between the Lord and Moses. Moses is asking him to come. The Lord's like, yes, I'll come. I know you by name. And Moses says, now let me see your glory, Lord. Like, we get in this moment, we get at the crux of what Moses is really after ultimately what he's really after. Lord, I want to see your glory. Someone once described, I, I forget who it was. It might have been Miller from Upper Room. I forget, but he was saying like his kid, little kid, was like out in the front yard in the buck nude, just doing his thing. <laughs> and he wasn't aware of it, you know, so they brought him inside. Well, the neighbor made a joke. He's like, hey, I saw your son out there in all his glory. But this is what the glory of God is. It's God completely open and like just, it's purely him. Like, that is the glory. When Moses says, show me your glory, it's not because he wants a light display. He doesn't want the cloud to, like, you know, he wants to see God in all that he is. Like, this is the glory of the Lord, right? If he just came in and let us just see fully who he is. Like, that is the glory that Moses is after. He's after God himself, purely the man, like, the Lord. Like, he's after the Lord, it's not about travel plans to the promised land. It's not about settling into like rich places. It's not about conquering their enemies. It's purely about intimacy between the bride and the bridegroom. 
Guys, Jesus himself is the goal. Knowing him, being gripped by his glory, and being known by him and beholding him. That is the goal. And if we're not in touch with this, we can easily make his presence about a means to an end. I've done it. Probably most of us in this room have done it at times. We can make him and his presence about a means to an end. And all he's looking for is like date night. All he's looking for is like this this exchange, this love exchange between him and us. You know, the, I think the Bible makes it really clear that God's greatest desire of all the desires that the God of the heavens could ever have, his greatest desire is to dwell on earth with his people. I think he makes that clear in even creating the world and placing us in it, right? And in this garden, he would come every day and he would visit with Adam and Eve and walk with them in the cool of the day. And what do we look at? Like what's coming ultimately is Christ returning in all his glory in the new heaven and the new earth. And there's no sun because his glory is going to fill it all. That's Jesus dwelling on the earth with his people. Jesus coming to die on the cross. Emmanuel, God with us. Even in this story, the presence of God coming to the Israelites. Like God's greatest desire is to dwell on earth with his people. That is like, if I had to like preach any sermon on the presence of God, it's like, that's it. We so often want to make his presence about us or what we can do to conjure it up. It's like, guys, he already has the, his, all, his number one desire is already to come and be with us. To come and dwell on the earth with his people, right? That's what drives us out on mission, right? We want everyone at that table. He wants everyone at that table. He's drawing all men to himself. That's why we want to build a house of prayer here. It's why the Lord has spoken that, even spoken those words to us. Like, build me a place where I can, you can host my presence, like, often. Why? Not because, he doesn't just do it for us. Like, he wants to be with us. The God who is everywhere wants to dwell somewhere in a moment and place and time with his people. Isn't that amazing? Like that of all the things that the Lord could desire, he desires to dwell with you in this place that he has created for us. And yes, there's a, an, an, an amazing amount of corruption on this earth that someday the Lord is coming. He is the just one and he's coming to make right what is wrong. But even here and now on this earth, his desires to come and dwell with us here. It's truly amazing. Like it is the most amazing, profound epiphany we could ever have. That the Lord of all the heavens, who is right now seated on his throne, receiving worship from hundreds and hundreds of thousands of angels, and the elders and and the creatures are falling before him and casting their crowns before him, and his eyes are upon us. He's like, when are my people gathering next so I can go be with them? We can never conjure up enough zeal for his presence. Like, it's his zeal that is alive in us that gives us a desire for his presence, right? But that's what he wants to give us. It's what he gave Moses. Moses is zealous for the Lord, and it's because the Lord placed that in him. And Moses was simply given over to it, right? The bridegroom wins the heart of the bride, and the bride simply says, yes. How could I say no to that? How could I say no to him? So, as we close today, it's 35, okay. Um, 
Yeah, so as we close, I think what the Lord is speaking for us this morning is, I got to say this short because I really want to get to it and not just talk the whole time. Um, In light of this whole thing, like, it's very clear to me that, like, the Lord wants to give us more of his presence. There's these words out there right now about how he wants to fill us with new wine, and that new wine really is just, like, it's more of him. He wants us to have more of him in this season. Like, Steve just, like, embodies this as a person. Like, consistently, like, Lord, fill me with more. And Steve is now, like, our leader. As the Lord's doing it in his life, he wants to do it in our lives. He wants to, it's almost like we're a bowl, and he wants to fill us with the new wine. And in in that, he's making us a new wine skin to carry the new wine. I think it's really obvious. I've just heard enough. I've, I've experienced in my own life. I've heard enough from others. I've seen what he's doing to know that right now, guys, we are in this place of consecration unto him. We are in this place of like repenting and bring ourselves to him to like become a new wineskin to carry his new wine. Um, in, earlier in this passage at the beginning, um, I have it right here. Be right before this exchange. The Lord said to Moses, leave this place, you and the people you brought up out of Egypt, and go to the land I promised an oath to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, saying, I will give you all your descendants. Um, I'll give it to your descendants. I'll send angels. I'll take care of everything, but I will not go with you because you're a stiff-necked people, and I might destroy you on the way. When the people heard these distressing words, they began to mourn, and no one put on, their, on any ornaments, which are like trappings, their necklaces, their, all their stuff. The Lord said to Moses, tell the Israelites, you're a stiff-necked people. If I were to go with you for even a moment, I might destroy you. Now take off your ornaments, and I'll decide what to do with you. So the Israelites stripped off their ornaments right there at the mountain. And so that, I think, right there, like stripping off the ornaments, is sort of what the Lord's doing in us right now. It's unto the fact that he wants to come with us, right? That he wants to show us his glory. He wants to fill us. That's, that's what happens right after that, right? But he's saying like, hey guys, like strip off your ornaments. Like I want to make you into a new wine, a new wine skin to carry new wine. And I think it's like personal, like, I mean, it's been a heavy month for me, just like a lot coming out of this fast, the Lord is revealing things like corporately as a body, systemically, he's revealing things to us personally. Does anyone else, has anyone else like felt that like over this past season at all that like, hey, the Lord's like leaning in on some things. I think the Lord's got us here saying, hey guys, take off your ornaments because I want to like make you into something that can carry my presence, that can be filled with my presence. Like he wants to bring us deeper into this love relationship between the bride and the bridegroom. And he's calling us to simply like in this time, consecrate ourselves unto God. Um, Is anyone aware of what's happening in Lexington, or it's not Lexington, but it's in Kentucky right now at Asbury? Yeah, so long story short, there's a college there, and last week at a chapel, someone actually, I got a text about it from the guy, and he said he delivered an an average to slightly crappy message. And then, so nothing, there was no fireworks in this place. He and I said, hey, if you guys want to stay and learn more about it, it wasn't even an altar call. It was if you want to learn more about what I said, you can stick around. So everyone dipped, but like 20 people wanted to know more. And then the presence of God fell in that place. And ever since then, like, they've still been gathered. It's like five or six days later, they're still gathered there. People are coming now from, like, all over the world into this place. And people are getting saved, and people are getting healed and set free and reconsecrating themselves unto the Lord. 
Well, a couple things about that. Um, one, the guy had just said yesterday, he's like, the first three days, they haven't even gotten to like what the Lord is saying in all of it. The first three days have just been about consecrating themselves unto the Lord. It's been about taking off the ornaments in his presence and like returning to this place of like purity between him and uh, them and the Lord. Like that's, that's what the first three full days there hasn't, worship hasn't stopped since that for like five days. So the first three days there's constant worship and prayer happening as they're consecrating themselves unto the Lord. And like that is what the Lord is doing in us right now. Like he's saying, consecrate yourselves unto me. Because he wants to do something really great in our midst. And we don't want to miss it, right?